Thanks for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Reformation Lutheran Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. This week we're reading the book of Jonah and also the gospel from Luke chapter 18, 10 through 14. Thanks for listening and God bless you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father in heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Maxine, for that long reading. This this book of Jonah is exciting. God produces a fish and a bush and a worm, all these things. Really a a lot of fun and very visual, right? So we were getting the picture. Uh, Very emotional, too, this story. A lot of emotions in the story. This year for us has produced a lot of emotions with lockdowns and isolation and unrest in our ongoing political reality. We're feeling things many of us don't have a name for. Some of these feelings are familiar, exhaustion, grief, frustration, we felt those. There are other feelings I didn't even know had a name. Have you heard of these? Kenopsia? This is the tranquility and eerie emptiness of a place that is usually full of people. Might be what you felt if you took a bike ride down the Las Vegas Strip in April. How about Sonder? Sonder. What does that sound like? Sonder is a new one to me. It's the realization we might feel that uh, we might have this realization that some random other human being has a full life, personality, ambitions, and routines that we know nothing about. If that occurs to you, you're feeling sonder. Is that related to empathy? Could be. I don't know. There's acedia. An important one, this distracted kind of emptiness characterized by feelings of boredom or listlessness or fear and uncertainty comes from the experience of early Christian monks and was called the noonday demon. One we know well, I think, is schadenfreude. You know that one, right? It's one you might know. Uh, It's this feeling of taking pleasure or satisfaction in the misfortune of others. Maybe we notice a tinge of glee when something bad happens to someone we disagree with or don't like or find reprehensible. It's how I feel when the Florida Gators uh, lose a football game. And I try to put that feeling out of my mind, but it's still in there. Uh, I didn't get that this weekend, sadly. Maybe you struggle with some of these emotions. If that last one has been more present with you the last 24 hours, I get it. Some are celebrating the election of a new president. Others are not. I saw videos yesterday of people praying at the Clark County election offices for one candidate to win or another, likely asking God to bring a win for their side. What will God do? The divisions between people and parties in our country are deep, and my prayer has been for many things, but mostly for an end to violence for a beginning to new dialogue, compromise, rationality from those we choose to lead us. We cannot make our neighbors into our enemies. You see, the Hebrews and the Ninevites, they were enemies. And the people of Israel were brutalized for years by the Assyrians who had inflicted pain and terror on Jonah's people for a long, long time. God calls Jonah to tell them that they were wicked in the sight of the Lord and to shout to them that their city would be destroyed. 
And that was exactly what Jonah wanted. He was feeling that, yes, we're finally going to get it. We can certainly understand why the prophet in the story would dread going to this capital or how the Ninevites would take the news of God's wrath. He'd rather see them wiped off the map. He would sooner celebrate their demise and rejoice in the end of their civilization. And the story is really a different kind of writing than other books of the Bible. It's, it's kind of humorous, right? It's exaggerated, even silly at times. There should be a laugh track accompanying the reading. It's like a Marx Brothers or a Monty Python movie. Kids, you can look those up on YouTube later. Like Moses and Jeremiah before him, though, and many other prophets, Jonah wasn't, doesn't want this job. Could you pick something else, God? Pick someone else for this. He tries to go as far away as he can. Tarshish, we hear Tarshish in the story. It's fun to say. Probably refers to a town that was in what is now currently Spain, the edge of the known world at the time. That's how far Jonah wants to go to get away from Nineveh. So instead of heading north, to Nineveh, he goes south and he gets on a boat and he settles in and takes a nap, you know, as you do when you get on a big boat. Jonah's fast asleep and the sea is raging, this storm, and the other sailors are getting nervous. They made their living on the water, but you see, they didn't know about ocean currents or waves or weather. All these things were considered to be controlled by the gods. So, of course, they start praying to every god they can think of, and nothing is working. So they wake up Jonah, and he tells them it must be his fault. They should just throw him overboard to save their lives. But these are good-hearted pagan sailors, and they don't want to be responsible for the death of this man. They even cried out to the Lord, to Jonah's God. The storm is getting worse, so they finally they listen to him, and they pick him up and throw him into the sea. The storm ends. And all of a sudden, Jonah is swallowed up by a giant fish. Makes sense, right? And this miraculous event shows us that God's not done with Jonah. He didn't die in a shipwreck or even being thrown into the sea. God is finding a way. God is protecting his prophet and his people. The mission's still on. So no matter how hard Jonah tries to get away, God keeps pursuing him. God keeps calling him to the work that needs to be done. And in the belly of the fish, even, Jonah prays, giving thanks to God for God's deliverance, God's rescue for him. You know, not for the people of Nineveh. He doesn't want that, but what happens then? Well, the fish barfs him up on the land. That is a direct translation from the Hebrew people. I'm not making this up. Maybe if you've had those times in your life where you knew you were going a different direction than God might want for you, maybe you can relate. Maybe you weren't in the belly of a fish, but maybe you knew you were supposed to be somewhere else, or maybe you were waiting for a sign or a word or someone to lead you there to show you where you were meant to be. You were never alone. The story reminds us that God journeys with Jonah even when he's running away. God journeys with us as we face doubts and fears and difficulties and new realities. Every time we are pushed out of our comfort zones, 
God is still present, ready to forgive, making a way forward, gently, sometimes forcefully leading us to where we need to be. Those who heard this story when it was first written knew what it was like to be taken from their homes, to be oppressed by foreign rulers, to be prevented from worshiping the way they wanted. Some stayed faithful, others went other ways. So God's second chance to Jonah is a foreshadowing of what God will do for the people of Nineveh, for the people of Israel, and for us. So all this happens, and God's word comes to Jonah once more, directing him again to proclaim to the Ninevites, to his enemies. And of course, he can try to run away, but God sees the prophet, calls him back to the mission at hand. So reluctantly, he starts heading in that direction. And we hear this story that three days, it takes three days to walk across the city. Again, probably an exaggeration. It probably wasn't that big in real life. But Jonah is supposed to go to the center of the city and cry out to these people. He goes about a third of the way in. He goes one day's walk. And we can imagine him giving this kind of half-hearted speech. 40 more days and uh, Nineveh will be overthrown. All right, did it, done. Good enough, God, right? But the people heard. And they did something new. They believed. These enemies of Israel, these evildoers, these deplorable neighbors to the north who throughout history had ravaged the Jewish people, who fought violently against them and built up all kinds of bitterness and anger and rage and pain, they repented. They turned around. And the king got word and declared a fast, even for the animals. The cows and the sheep and the pigs, they're wearing sackcloth and, and they're fasting in the hopes that the Lord would be merciful to them. It's funny, right? It's funny. <laughs> and that's exactly what God does. God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But Jonah, Jonah was, he wanted to feel that schadenfreude. He wanted them to be destroyed. He wanted these enemies to be wiped out for good. How he would have enjoyed just seeing them all gone. And now, what? They're part of the family? They've got to learn how to get along? To make matters worse, Jonah knew this was going to happen. And he tells God, I know that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Knew this was going to happen. God has mercy on the people and the animals and relents from punishing, and He gives them another chance, like He does for Jonah, like He does for us. See, He created them and He cares for them and He provides a new way for even those that Jonah hated. So Jonah wants to die doesn't want any part of this. He'd rather die than see his enemies forgiven, to see them brought into relationship with God and his neighbors, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He's so mad. It's silly, right? He stomps out to the edge of the city and he sits down in the hot sun to watch. God makes a bush grow up around him to give him shade. 
Well, he likes that. He was glad about that. But then God made the bush wither and die, and Jonah was mad again. The story ends with a question for the prophet. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh? We don't get the answer, but we ought to know it. Jonah is focused on his own needs, his own desires and comforts. And Jonah isn't looking for mercy and grace. Jonah is concerned with the destruction of his enemies, his own vindication. God is concerned for the people, for the animals, the whole creation, for the earth and nations, for life and peace and balance and liberation and progress and rest. God is so concerned that despite constant war, hunger, destruction, and evil, God is born into time and history to live with us and among us as Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who humbled himself to death for us and lived in the belly of the grave for three days and rose again and went on with the mission, carried it out, sending us the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us and call us his beloved children. He baptizes us in water and welcomes us into his new future as his very body, leading us into his kingdom that is much, much different than the one we have built. We've been through so much this year, and it's not over yet. We still are struggling. We will. Still, God is journeying with us. So if our concern is only for ourselves, for our sides, our parties and viewpoints, then our faith is not in the God of the universe. We learn from Jonah how not to follow this God, and we have to laugh at the ways God continues to stay faithful even when human beings are not. The story of Jonah reminds us that God is so much bigger than we can imagine. God's vision is far wider than our own. And yet we are still called into Jesus' reign of mercy and love. That extraordinary mercy and love that we have received extends even to those people with whom we disagree even to those who think differently, who love differently, who worship differently. So if we say we follow this God, we are called into this diverse kingdom to live as ones who see in others the image of God. There's a great opportunity before us today to humble ourselves, to repent from the ways we have turned others into enemies, to create new dialogue, to enter into relationships built on our common need, and to follow a spirit-led vision for the future. We can have communities and a nation and a world where we can work through our disagreements and our distrust and build something new. It won't make us any more righteous. It won't take away the pain and anger we still will feel at times, but it might just make a difference for our neighbors in need, our neighbors who are afraid our neighbors who have felt unheard, who need our help. We don't do it alone. We do it together. And we do it with a God who loves us and forgives us and corrects us and connects us and journeys with us on the way. Amen.